And I will have you turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We have been making our way through Hebrews. We're getting uh, closer to the end now, 13 chapters in Hebrews, and we're up to uh, 10. And, and we have a short but very tough passage today. Um, the main idea is apostasy, uh, really. And uh, an apostate, let me just give you that definition up front, and I just took the first one from the dictionary. Apostate is a person who renounces a religious or political belief or principle. And we remember the state of our original readers as, as uh, the writer of Hebrews writes. And, and they are being tempted to go back to Judaism or some form of Judaism, to give up Christ, basically. And, and so he's been writing about how Christ is better than everything that you can find uh, in the Old Testament. The perfect sacrifice, the perfect high priest. And, and now he gets to this part about uh, basically apostasy and it's hard teaching and a little unnerving at time because we do have to uh, uh, ask ourselves some questions but it's a good passage to really check our heart and and to look into our own soul and so uh, we will uh, take a look at this difficult passage uh, Hebrews chapter 10 let me begin at verse 26 for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Even difficult passages like this, we ask now that as we look into it, your truth will be revealed and that you will teach us and that your teaching may penetrate deep into our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the oddities of uh, history and remembering history is how well known the traitors are or the apostates, if I can use that word. You know, world history or literature, uh, you know, you think of Julius Caesar and it was Brutus who killed him, uh, betrayed him. And as Shakespeare wrote, et tu, Brute, you know, you too, uh, Brutus. Uh, in United States history, uh, we can go back to the Revolutionary War. One of the most well-known people is Benedict Arnold, a guy who had gained the trust of George Washington and then turned on the revolutionaries. And in the Bible as well, a disciple that we could probably all name, Judas, the traitor, the betrayer. You know, if I asked you to name the 12 disciples 
you know, you might start good, uh, most of us, okay, there's Peter, of course, he's, he's pretty bold, and uh, Matthew, and then Mark, no, wait, not Mark, uh, Luke, no, wait, not Luke, uh, Paul, no, not Paul, you know, uh, J John, okay, we got John, and, and maybe you can pull out Thaddeus and Bartholomew and, and Andrew, and, but you might get to six, seven, eight, and boy, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of running out of names here. You can go with Simon, that, that's a, you know, that's a safe one, but you'll all remember Judas, the traitor, he's, he's quite famous. And, and one of the reasons that apostates or traitors are so well known is because of the damage they can do. Um, they, they know the right things and they can do a lot of harm. And, and recently in Christianity, we've had some apostates in the last couple of years, some well-known uh, leaders in the church who have renounced the faith. Um, and so this morning we look at, at some of the things about apostasy. And, and as we go into this, I want to throw out some encouragement right away because this will be one of those passages where we'll be looking for encouragement along the way. Uh, there is something in Reformed theology that is called the perseverance of the saints. And I want to just start with that. Uh, it's this idea that it is God who saves you, and if God calls you, he will persevere uh, you through uh, everything. It's the perseverance of the saints. Your, your salvation depends on God, and God is rock solid in his promises. And, and I start with that because the world and our adversary, he wants you to kind of question your faith sometimes. He wants you to question your beliefs. Are you really saved? You know, that that's, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say this? Uh, and, and also, uh, I want to encourage you a little bit up front, because there are apostates in the world. And, and it can be unnerving when we come across them. And, and this teaching is a little bit unsettling. But, but let's learn from this passage uh, about... Uh, not following uh, in that path of apostasy, if you will. And, and I want to start right away in verse 26. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. And, and here's one of the things about uh, apostates and, and apostasy uh, a lot of times, is there's this knowledge of the truth. In other words, they can say the right things. That they, they can give the right answers. Some of them maybe have grown up in the church and, and they, they know what verse to go to and they'll say the right things uh, maybe for several years. And, and you think of Judas, and I'm going to use Judas as an example a few times here. A Judas for three years said all the right things and did all the right things. He didn't stand out. There was one thing to note about Judas, though. John, when he wrote his gospel, and, and he wrote this uh, after uh, Jesus' resurrection, but as he remembered things, uh, he wrote in John chapter 12 about the time that, that a woman named Mary poured this expensive ointment on Jesus. And, and Judas, and there were some other disciples there as well, but Judas uh, was one of them who wondered, well, why didn't they just sell that ointment and give the money to the poor? Sounds like the right thing to do. I mean, he, he was saying the right thing there, but John also notes in verse 6 of chapter 12, he said, uh, and I quote, but he said this not because he cared about the poor, 
but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And then if you'll remember, it was Judas who eventually betrayed Jesus for money. He had this little sin and he wasn't going to let it go. It was this deliberate little sin and eventually he sold out completely. This deliberate uh, sin, as it says in my translation in verse 26, or intentional, uh, unrepentant sin, if I can put it that way, is one of the pathways to apostasy. And we see that, and, and sometimes people will... Um, not only repent or un be unrepentant about their sin, but, but actually embrace it and, and try to call it good somehow. And the classic example of this that uh, many of us know, and I can think of a few right in my head right away, is, is the man, the, the husband caught in adultery who doesn't repent from it then, but decides he's going to do this. I will divorce my wife and, and leave my children, and then I will marry this girl that I'm having this, this adulterous relationship. Then I marry to her, and it's all good, right? And they've never really repented. And, and the examples I know in my head, that has always led to them losing their church friends and eventually not being in church anymore and renouncing the faith. Um, that's kind of the classic example. Now, this doesn't mean uh, a lapse of faith. When you uh, put Peter and Judas together, remember Peter, he denied Jesus three times. But Peter, that, that, was, that was just a lapse of, of faith. It was a sin to deny Jesus, but, but that wasn't how Peter was. In fact, he was quite the opposite. He was the one who would say, Jesus, I'll be with you to the end. But yet in that moment of trial uh, and un just unfaithfulness and self-preservation, uh, he had that lapse. As opposed to Judas, who had the sin and he was just going to hang on to that. Unrepentance about it. And we're all sinners. But Hebrews has been making very clear throughout that we have a Savior. And so that's another part of the encouragement there. We, we have that Savior, even though we're all sinners. And, and, uh, and that road to apostasy, uh, we need to avoid that by giving up that, that sin we just won't repent of. And it's more than just knowledge that will keep us from apostasy. But it's saving faith. Repenting of, of faith and, and or I say, re re repenting in faith um, and that kind of faith that hates sin, as, as Paul would talk about his struggle with sin. Uh, the apostate uh, who says the right thing with no real intention of, of giving up his sin, not wanting to call it sin, but, but trying to make it, make it something good. He doesn't have that saving faith, but it's that, that saving faith faith that you need. Not just the knowledge that Jesus died for sins, but that he died for your sins. Because what's left after you reject Christ? And that's uh, in verse uh, 26 at the end. And in verse 27, no longer is there a sacrifice for sin. That perfect sacrifice is gone once you've rejected Christ. 
In verse 27, there's a fearful expectation of judgment and, and a fury of fire, a zeal of fire uh, that will consume the adversaries. The readers, original readers of Hebrews, uh, they knew the Old Testament well. And by the way, this little passage is full of Old Testament references that we're not going to get to. But they would have understood the fury of fire. Uh, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, who offered strange offerings to God. They were among the first priests and they were burned up. Fire came from heaven. There's Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and we could go on with how God has judged with a fury of fire, and that's what's left if you've rejected Christ. I was uh, reminded this week of John Wesley uh, and, and his diary. Uh, he, he wrote it back in the 1700s, early 1700s, and, and in, 19, or in 1736, uh, he writes about how he had sailed over uh, from England to the United States and was in Savannah, Savannah, Georgia, and, and he was uh, there to build churches and, and help churches. And, and he sought help from a Moravian pastor. Uh, this pastor's name was uh, Spangenberg. And uh, I'm going to quote here from Wesley's diary. Wesley writes this, Spangenberg said, My brother... I must first ask you one or two questions. Have you the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? I was surprised and knew not what to answer. He observed it and asked, Do you know Jesus Christ? I paused and said, I know he is the Savior of the world. True, he replied, but do you know he has saved you? I answered, I hope he has died to save me. He only added, do you know yourself? I said, I do, and then there's an asterisk, and in a moment of honesty, Wesley writes, but I fear they were words in vain. He knew the knowledge. He knew what was said. But he didn't really know if Christ had died for him. And then he writes in his journal that evening, uh, he went to a, a meeting. There was a society meeting, and he's quite clear that he went unwillingly. And uh, someone was uh, reading from Luther, Martin Luther's preface to uh, Romans. And Wesley writes this, at about 8.45, he actually looked at the clock when this happened, about 8.45, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death and the first path away from apostasy we see is not knowing merely that Christ died for sins but that he died for your sins and that you have that faith that he died for you that faith that compels you to loathe your deliberate sin as as Paul would do in Romans loathe that sin and, and want to lose it knowing what Christ has done. But not only do apostates know the right words to say, 
they can also look really good. They do the right things. I want to jump to verse uh, 29. We'll come back and get 28 in a minute. But 29, uh, in the middle of it about, or near the end, uh, it's, it's, uh, he has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And this idea of being sanctified is, is the Holy Spirit working in your life and, and leading you into holiness. Uh, in, into righteousness. And, and as he uses the word sanctified here, our writer of Hebrews, he's talking about it in a general sense. In other words, here's a guy that went to church or wherever he went, and he fit right in. He did all the right things. He said all the right things. He looked like he belonged. You know, there's, there's no pastor in the world that can look out at people and say, okay, there's, there's an apostate. Oh, there's one that's going to commit apostate. You, you can't do it. There, there's some that you sometimes question, but, but really there's no way you can do that. But when uh, apostasy uh, comes out, uh, it's, it's surprising because they've, they've done the right things and they've said the right things. But when it comes out, then uh, oftentimes um, it comes out hard. And, and, and they, they reject the, the sacrifice and outrage uh, the spirit. They, they profane or, or they, they just kind of uh, shrug their shoulders at, at the blood of, of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is, is the work of his redemption. You think of the horror of the cross, Jesus being tortured up there and, and dying and shrugging your shoulders and saying, ah, whatever. Maybe, maybe not. I'll just remember it in case I ever need it, but whatever. Rejecting that and, 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 and the rejection of the Spirit whose job is to apply the grace of God to your heart. The grace of God in Christ, and that's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit will do. He will remind you of me. And, and just to reject that and shrug your shoulder and say, you know what, Holy Spirit, I don't really need that right now. Outrageous. Spurning the Son of God, as it says in verse 29. And, and to spurn uh, there could also be translated to trample underfoot. It's, it's, keeping, or it's, it's treating Jesus uh, with contempt, if you will. Jesus, as, as Hebrews 1 told us, who, who created the world and is the radiance of the glory of God and upholds the universe by the word of his power and just saying, nah, not interested. I'm interested in other things, but maybe not that so much. And, and as I mentioned, sometimes when apostasy comes out, then it's, it's frequently with contempt, as it says. They'll ask questions like, do you really believe that? I, I can't believe I really believed what was written in the Bible. Do, do you really believe everything that's written in the Bible? Are, are there people like that still? And, and it can be very disrespectful. And uh, I've read uh, from several uh, apostates, and oftentimes it's vulgar and it's hurtful. Because remember, they know the right things to say. They know how to injure you with it. And it can also be very dangerous because they've been doing and saying the right things and they can very easily lead others astray. And there is a warning here about being careful about letting uh, people influence your theology, 
who do you let influence your theology? Because there are some teachers who still claim uh, Christianity, but their teaching is so far away from it, so far away from it. If they oppose what God has clearly written in his word, they are highly suspect. But apostasy can sound good and it looks so good that it will make us question ourselves. Think about Judas again. When Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room uh, the night he was arrested, he told his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And you almost wish in the Gospels that you could see where then all the disciples turned and looked at Judas and said, that's the guy. Obviously it's him. But that's not what happened. They looked around and Judas was right there with them and they thought, well, who is it? In fact, they even asked, is it me? Lord, am I the one? I see Peter, it's not him. I see Judas, not going to be him. I see, I see all these other guys. It, it might be me. And this is one of the places I like, kind of use my imagination and like to put myself in the room. You know, would I have been the one who boldly would have said, no, certainly not me. Let, let's start questioning people here. Uh, but could you have done that? And it's an unsettling question because we all know our weaknesses, just like the disciples all knew their weaknesses. And that's why we keep coming back to Christ. That's why the writer of Hebrews has spent nine and a half chapters telling us about Christ here because we need that Savior. But apostasy and, and apostates, they can make you question yourself at times. And they can make you question who God is. And there's another path to apostasy. Forgetting who God is. Trying to change who he is. Let me go back to verse 28. He writes, and this is uh, from the Old Testament. The original readers would have known all about this when Moses uh, would write and, and, and said, Anyone who, who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses, and then how much worse the punishment, in verse 29, how much worse the punishment will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God. And then jump ahead as, as uh, we work from the, from the lesser to the greater there, Moses to Jesus. Remember, Jesus is, is better than Moses, and, and the writer has established that early on. But... The writer, uh, let me just quote Philip Hughes, who writes this, The members of the community of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, had the promises, but not their fulfillment. Whereas the members of the community of the New Covenant possessed both the promise and their fulfillment in Christ, so that theirs is not only the greater privilege, but also the greater responsibility. And the wickedness of apostasy is all the more compounded in their case. You know, the people in the Old Testament, they didn't know who Christ was. We have the privilege of knowing that. But to quote, with great privilege comes great responsibility. And to spurn Jesus, how much greater the punishment and the writer of Hebrews says, For we know him, in verse 31, we know him 
um, or I'm sorry, verse 30. We know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, uh, the Lord will judge his people. Now these words come from Deuteronomy chapter 32 and Moses. This is the song of Moses. It's right near the end of his life and, and he's speaking to Israel. But the writer of Hebrews is saying here, we know that God. We know this, this God who said, vengeance is, is mine. Because another road to apostasy is, is this attitude that says this. You know, God has really mellowed out a lot since the Old Testament. That God is, is, is different now. He's, he's not all that uptight as he used to be uh, back in the Old Testament. But that's exactly the opposite of what our author wants us to see. No, that is God. That's who God really is. That's the God we know. Now, granted, some of the ceremonial laws and the sacrificial system has been abrogated, but God's holy character, his righteousness, his, his judgment, it's still the same. He has the same zeal for his holiness. He doesn't change. And that's the God we know who says, vengeance is mine. But, you know, much like uh, apostates who know the knowledge of the truth, but really don't have faith in it, that Christ died for, for my sins, there's also this idea of this knowledge. Well, God will judge sin, but I'm okay, right? Not really personalizing it. I know God judges, but I think I'm going to be okay. Or he's not going to judge this sin because I got a whole bunch of people together and we all, we all decided this isn't a sin anymore. But the writer of Hebrews says, no, we know this God and he says, vengeance is mine and I will judge. And then we come to that foreboding verse in uh, 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I had a seminary professor uh, who would tell us uh, with a smile on his face, that's a good memorization verse right there. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because for those of us who, who memorize scripture, a lot of times we go with the loving ones. You know, the John 3.16, God so loved the world and, and he who began a good work in you and, and, and all the good loving ones. But he said, this is a good one to remember because it serves as ballast that our ship doesn't tip sometimes. Because you see, the apostate who abandons God as his Savior is going to meet him as judge. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And, and we remember, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that the writer of Hebrews writing to these people who want to uh, avoid persecution. And we don't know the level of their persecution, or even if it's come yet. There, there's maybe this idea that it's coming, but at least they're uncomfortable with their Christianity, with their following Christ. There's something uncomfortable about it. And, and we may not know persecution. Some do. Many do around the world. We may not know it on a personal level, but we do understand that uncomfortableness of being a Christian sometimes in society and trying to figure out a way to wiggle out of it, 
that temptation to say, oh, but maybe I can get out of it somehow, navigate that I can change something here. Uh, reading from uh, Table Talk magazine, actually, uh, earlier this week, I came across this line. Our goal, then, must be to avoid final apostasy and the patterns of ongoing sin that lead to it. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about endurance. In fact, you can look at the very next verse, verse 32, and, and you'll see the, the word endure there, endured. Uh, there's a great chapter on faith coming up. We'll talk about endurance and we'll talk about faith, but today we look at this passage, this difficult passage, and use it as, as a time to really check ourselves. To make sure that we are steering clear of that deliberate sin, that unrepentant sin that can lead to apostasy. Maybe even trying to find a way to call that deliberate sin something good. Steer clear of those who would influence us to question who God is. To question, uh, to question God's word. Did God really say this? And do you really believe what, what he said? Steer clear of that. And also, and, and maybe foremost, it's a great chance for us to make sure we have our total faith in Christ as our sacrifice. Not just the knowledge that Christ existed and died for sins and rose again, but better that he died for my sins and he died for your sins. And faith in that, that you will keep deep in your hearts and say, I will never give that up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you for your word. Even these difficult passages that cause us to stop and think, that show us the dangers of this world, but yet call us to you. We do ask that you will strengthen our hearts, put your truth firmly in our hearts, that we have not only knowledge of you, but great faith in you, great faith in your salvation, and great faith in your word and your promises. We thank you and we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now if you uh, do want to stand up and you can spread out a little bit if you want. And, and Becky, if you want to uh, start us, we'll sing the doxology.
Our benediction this morning comes from the book of 2 Corinthians. It's a short one, uh, but it's a good one. Benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.